where you talked about the swell and the fetch and the traveling of that swell and you meeting that energy and not going against it, but trying to become a part of it and trying to work with it. And it's just, it's the essence of life. It's the essence of health, really. Today, I'm very excited to have Dr. Tim Brown on the Surf Strong Elite Show. He's one of the foremost experts and leading innovators in the world of sports medicine, going into his 50th year of working with some of the world's most recognizable athletes. Dr. Brown currently serves as the co-medical director for the World Surf League, a performance expert for both the U.S. Olympic surf team and Red Bull high-performance athletes, as well as working alongside Rip Curl and NuX to create cutting-edge technologies. We talk about being the original medical director of the first professional beach volleyball association, the AVP, in the early 80s, and how that experience combined with his own time as a college football, pro beach volleyball, and surf athlete was the start of a lifelong pursuit to change the recurring injury, rehab, recovery, and re-injury cycle he was seeing over and over again amongst the athletes. Dr. Brown revolutionized the world of sports taping and soft tissue treatment with his innovative, specific, proprioceptive response technique. You may know it from the 2008 Beijing Olympics when professional beach volleyball player Carrie Walsh brought SPRT to the world stage when she won a gold medal with Misty May Trainer wearing a version of SPRT for an injured shoulder. We discuss his five progression pillars of fitness, how what you eat, think, do is what you become, and the next event of his Surf Movement Masterclass series. He is a personal mentor of mine, and I am really honored to have him on the show and for all the work that he does to support both athletes and the people that work with him. It's just a tremendous honor to have him here. Welcome to the Surf Strong Elite Show, conversations for a healthy community. I'm your host, Greg Finch. If you have questions or comments or topics that you'd like us to cover, I'd love to hear from you. Makes the conversation that much more dynamic, relevant to the audience, and that makes the show that much better. You can reach us on almost all social media platforms at SurfStrongFit or go direct to our website, surfstrongfit.com podcast. All current and past episodes of the Surf Strong Elite Show are there and you can contact us directly. Thanks for joining us. Here's our conversation with Dr. Tim Brown. Hey, Tim, I, w- I really want to thank you for being part of the, the Surf Strong Elite Show and taking your time to share your expertise. It's really great to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I we could fill a whole episode with this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, let me know what surfing means to you and how it's influenced your life's path. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, I mean, you just look around my little office space here. Um, you know, surfing is a big part of me. And I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I like to think I'm a part of surfing as well, giving back to something that's given me so much. So surfing is just this exchange of energy that's like nothing else I've ever run into in, in life. You know, the ocean is full of energy. It's full of mana. Uh, it's full of nature lessons every time you go out. So <clears throat> surfing to me is the great mystery in life. You know, it's one of those things you never get wired. It always keeps you humble. It's a great gut check on what's happening in your life, where your fitness is, both mentally and physically, where your where your ability to love yourself is reflected in how you treat others in the water and how you treat nature itself. So surfing to me is 
kind of an all-encompassing metaphor for life. And uh, so, yeah, pretty important. <laughs> yeah, people, you probably get this question just like people in the peripheral or, you know, they ask you like, why, why, why is surfing so important to you? And, and that's a really tough question to answer for all the reasons that we just said. It's also all encompassing, but the closest I've been able to try to convey that depth to somebody that has never surfed before or, or isn't really connected to the ocean the way we are is I tell, I ask, I tell them picture energy traveling from thousands of miles away and organizing and getting into this place and it comes and starts to interact with your local coastline and you happen to be there and you're the only one on this wave and as it pushes you down it's transferring that energy through you and then it hits the shore and disappears and you are able to experience that moment with that energy and connection to the ocean and then it's gone and yeah. more than anything, even when I say that to people, I start to get like, I gotta, I gotta go get in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one of those chicken skin things, you know, that, um, you know, it's such a humbling thing. But I think you hit the, the nail on the head there. It's truly an energy exchange where you talked about the swell and the fetch and the traveling of that swell and you meeting that energy and not going against it, but trying to become a part of it and trying to work yeah. with it. And it's just, it's the essence of life. It's the essence of health, really. We're trying to work with all this stuff, both internally and extrinsically, to make the energy smooth, to flow, to enjoy, yeah. to feel. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we could go all day, like you said at the beginning of this, just talking about metaphors that fit so nicely and in the beautiful gift that we've all been given as surfers. So, so to take it down to uh, just tangible things, describe your last wave, good, bad, or ugly. Well, I had a, um, you know, I cheated on this one a little bit because I got, I, I, I got your questions and then, you know, I'm like, I'm reading through it. And I'm going, well, shoot, it's next surf. I better do something. And so <laughs> it was pretty small a couple days ago. And I took a, uh, Mick Fanning gave me one of his killer new soft tops. So I, I took that out there and my dad uh, was a surfer and that's who got me into it at a very early age. And he was just so casual. You couldn't tell if he was on a 10 foot wave or a one foot wave the way he rode and just, he was just so smooth. So that's what's in my head, Greg. And yeah. when I surf, I, I always try and emulate that smoothness, whether it's shortboard or longboard in this case. Uh, it was a beautiful longboarding wave that I caught all the way to the beach, crossover step off onto the beach. And, you know, that's always good when you don't fall on your face and make a fool out of yourself, at least not all the time. So that was my last wave. It was, it was, it was great. And one that, uh, you know, I, I get to put in the archives of all those beautiful memories. Oh yeah, definitely. It's just, it, it is one of those things just that it's notching that experience and gives you these little, uh, tabs if you will in your life to check back into yeah i always felt like if i could get a surfing in the morning you know going to work going to school whatever i had to do after that i'd always have this little this little shit eating grin on the back you know just going you know throw at throw throw at me whatever you can because it's really going to just bounce off me after that session you're just you're just a, you're just a better version of yourself you know i've said this probably on the podcast before but my wife will just say 
you need to go paddle. And I'll be like, ah, it's blown out or it's da, da, da. And she's like, eh, eh, you need to go paddle. And she's right. She's absolutely right. It's just like, it's just the connection. The wave and surfing is just the bonus part. Oh, that's great. Well, that's a great woman to recognize your needs and what it can do for you and actually what it can do for her. <laughs> I think I think that's the true thing. It's the it's the complete thing. Like you're better when you come back, which is better yeah. for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So so we we're going to get into all of your background and your and how much you've given to surfing and other professional athletes. But I want to get a little sense of kind of what your typical week of health and fitness is like. Obviously, surfing's in there when it can be. What are the other things that you prioritize, whether they're daily routine, meditation, whatever that is? What does that what does a typical week look like for you? Well, you know, this one goes out to my patients, and I thank them for creating the example um, that tells me that, you know, you can't, especially as you get older, you have to train to surf. You can't surf to train. You know, the, the little things that we do outside of the water, our body conforms to. We're like in this big jello mold of what we do every day. And our bodies conform to that. We are, we adapt. I think if there's one thing we can say about the human condition, if we were to narrow it all down into one word, one of those words might be we adapt. And so therefore, um, we adapt to bad, we adapt to good. And the, the bad stuff comes in very innocuously. It comes in very slowly. So we're not often there to really read it. But every time we sit in a chair, we're going backwards in our surfing. We're going backwards in our health. We're slowing down metabolism. We're shutting off the electricity in our lower bodies. Bad things happen when we become static, Greg. And so, you know, that's kind of a, a critical uh, component is that no matter what you choose to do, you must train to surf. Um, surfing is an incredibly uh, great sport for cardiovascular, for strength, for mobility. But still, as we get older, we lose those things. And that can only come from what we've done outside of surfing. So we have to learn to lengthen before we strengthen. That's a really critical component. We'll talk about that when we talk about the pillars of health and fitness a little later on. But um, yeah, so it's it's just critical that we get into something that we can, um, like Jerry, you know, we talked about Jerry a little bit earlier, Jerry Lopez, you know, he was into yoga so long ago because he knew that was the essence of what he needed to do to do the thing that he loved the most for the, as long as he could possibly do it. And so Jerry gives back to his body. And that's what we have to learn to do. We have to learn to realize that we are the physical manifestation of what we eat, think, and do. And there's no way around that. Genetics play a part in it, but environment can even play a bigger part than genetics. So if you're in a crummy genetic box and you're, uh, you know, you may be really tight genetically, you can still do things based upon your genetics to help you improve all the time if you provide the environment for it. Your body loves movement. We were born to move. Um, some people have heard the term life is movement and movement is life. And I agree with that. But I want to take it to another level and say life is movement and movement is sensory. Mm. We are just this sensory being. You know, our skin has thousands and thousands of nerve receptors in them. And those nerve receptors come from what's inside the body. 
So the skin be kind of comes to the window to the body, what's happening inside it, and we can stimulate it or we can weaken it. So there's lots of little hacks that we can learn. Um, and my goal for my patients is to find a way to keep them the heck away from me. I want to go surf. I don't want to see people that are hurt. And just like them, they don't want to spend their time at the doctor's office. So how do we do that? Well, we have to take responsibility. That's how we do it. I can't take care of you. If you came in with an injury, Greg, I'm sure I could help you get out of pain, but it's up to you to learn how to control that. There is no cure for back pain, for instance. If there was, everybody would be doing the same thing, right? Everybody would have the cure, but there is no cure. But what I teach is control. How do we control the mechanisms that are causing your back to blow out so often? And oftentimes it isn't your back at all. It's what's above and below it that's out of balance that we have to fix. Yeah, yeah I, wanna, I wanna read some words your own words to you that really resonate personally with me. And then also my approach, it's influenced my approach. It took, it took what I was doing and really just kind of gelled it into this um, directive almost. And, and basically what you said was you have to participate in your own healthcare. No one is more important for your healthcare than you. And that when I, when I heard you say that and, and read that, it really did just solidify what I had been talking with my clients and, and coaching, which is basically they're coming to you for help, for support. Some of them are in really, really bad places. Some of them are just losing performance if they're a surfing client and they're looking to you to help them change that. And that's almost one of the first things I always say to a client is this is a collaboration. I come with my background and my experience and what I've learned and I'm going to help you bring your experience, good, bad, and indifferent, together because I can't change the things that you're doing. We can only put a plan together for you then to implement hour after hour, day after day, week after week. And I'll help steer that. But nobody is more important than you because you're the one experiencing all these things or ignoring the things that you need to pay attention to. So I want to thank you for that. It really, really does just, I, I come back to it. And then we're going to, well, to talk like right you just, yeah. It hits you right in the face. And it's the truth. You know, yeah. you either are going to or you're not. It's the old, you know, hideous Yoda deal, right? <laughs> you, you or do not. There's no in between. And yeah. so one of, the, one of the first things I teach my patients um, is to get rid of the word try. Because if you're using the word try, and the sports psychologist told me, he goes, you know, your patients tell you they try and do their exercises all the time, right? And I go, yeah, that's like the most common thing that I hear. And I pat him on the back and say, oh, that's nice. And he goes, well, that's bullshit because it's not true. You know, when we say try, it goes to a certain part of our brain that allows us to shelve it. But he said, if you, if you get them to say, I will do my best to it's, it's a game changer, Greg. It yeah. goes to a, the forefront of your brain. And then if you ever had, if you grew up in a guilty, you know, family, you know, where they taught you how to feel guilt, boy, that's, it goes right there, right in your, right in your front of your kisser there. And it really helps you to accomplish those things that oftentimes, you know, we could do, but we just don't. So yeah. either if they're trying, I got to tell them, man, uh, we're not doing well together. We're not going to have success. We're not going to have the outcome 
that I hope for you, which is to hand it all off to you and allow you to continue with your treatment, learn about yourself, learn about to hydrate, how to sleep, how to do all these things that you think I'm going to do for you, but I can't. Yeah. 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 They're just like, they're, they're words and words have power for sure. But if the action is not implemented and, and what you were saying about that, it really does, it, it inverts it. It's almost like they have to then say that to themselves because like you said, try is a place that they can put on a shelf, but doing my best is internal. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. is my own self image. Am I actually going to do my best? It doesn't really matter what they think about it. What do I think about it? It's true. And, and um, you know, there's 24 hours in a day. When I see somebody, my average treatment's an hour and it's hands-on and it's intensive. And we get wonderful results, Greg. I shoot for 50 to 80% improvement of whatever they came in with that day uh, relative to you know their symptoms before they came in. So I have high expectations. And so I'm going to do my work. But I know if they've done their work or not. Yeah. You know, if I find an area where they need to become more mobile in, for instance, and I say, okay, we've done, we've got great mobility. Look at you where you were before we started where you are right now. Here's what I need you to do. You do these three things when you're at home and I need you to do little bits often. I don't want you to sit down and try and do an hour a day in an hour. I want it to become part of your lifestyle. So we want to implement little kisses every once in a while where you're, you know, you're giving back to your body like that. So that's kind of what I do anyways. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier, and I just want to retouch on it before we kind of go into this um, five progressive pillars of fitness, and you're going to talk about that in depth. Um, and as you, you mentioned earlier, your unique approach to health and fitness is kind of about the history, right? So it's what, yeah. what do you eat? Tell, correct me if I'm wrong. What you eat, think, and do is what you become. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, your, and your history of injuries helps me to kind of follow that trail mm -hmm. and recognize that, you know, we start, see, I'll move my hand here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We start over here when we're babies at a hundred percent health. And then we, oh, other hand, <laughs> and then we <laughs> this route through life. It's not a straight line. Yeah. And, and so if I'm starting here and I'm ending here, What's in between is everything. It's the best predictor of the future. So history is the best predictor of the future. So you can't go like that. You can't go to a straight line. You're going to have to relive all those ups and downs on your way back to health if 100% health is your goal. So there's no straight lines. There's going to be good days and bad days. And the more you're involved, the more you can learn about little things that you can help boost yourself through those tough days. Because it is a collaboration, Greg, just like with what you do with your clients. There's no way you can just train somebody. They come in, they do their work for an hour, and then they don't do anything until they see you next time. The results aren't going to be as good at, uh, uh, as if they did some follow-up, did some of the movements that you've taught them so that their body can rehearse them. Again, our bodies adapt to what we do the most. So the more we can stimulate it in that direction, the sooner we adapt. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting evolution to, personally for myself too, is, is looking back over working with clients. So 
in the beginning of my career, it was definitely, it was all in person, all one-on-one, -on -one, you know, fairly intense amount of time, but, but it was always the struggle. It was like, okay, you train with me twice a week. That's two hours. It's a drop in the bucket. And it was just always so frustrating. So without yeah. going into all of the progression of things, where I am now is almost all of my clients, regardless of uh, level of fitness or health, is coming down to very, very, this is going to be a great transition because very, very foundational movement that I do with them. And I'm checking in with them weekly, but once a month, we're actually doing remote work together in some of those foundational movements. And what I found is as I actually projected the program that way to clients, I got some pushback from older clients, not not demographically older, but long term clients of like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And essentially, I was communicating to them what we're doing is we're evening out this balance of accountability and even evening out where what you're internalizing. So when you come back, the information you're giving me, both physiologically when we're looking at you and doing the forms and what you're noticing is, is bringing it internal to yourself. So when we come back and collaborate, you're getting exponentially more. And I found that less time with me is actually much, much more effective for progress and sustainability for them long-term. So I'm down to where we're doing, when they're ready and physically able, we're doing you know hip hinge work where we're doing deadlift and we're doing kettlebell swing where their form is all within that dynamic multi-joint movement and coming into the form for that and then they go back and they record something and I see it give them feedback and then once a month we're coming together in a setting like this and saying okay let me see what you have what have you learned let's set up your next month way more effective so yeah. the reason I'm bringing that up almost is really because in 2018 when you did your last surf movement masterclass which i've thanked every guest that's been on here that was part of that and i have to thank you because you were such so foundation foundational for that it was a remarkable weekend i i, I know you felt it but i would just want to say to you first person the collection of experts that you had there and how giving they were and how collaborative that weekend was it was truly truly amazing Oh man, that uh, that's so meaningful, you know, especially after all these years. Um, but we are um, we're looking at reupping it again, Greg. So um, we we're gonna try and do our best. <laughs> Eliminate try. We're gonna do our best to put the put the band back together and even upgrade it. So we're talking to potential sponsors right now um, to help us hold something like this. It's almost like. A, you know, it's like all these churches coming together, so to speak, you know, where we've right. got all these different ways of thinking. And, you know, I, again, we're, we're, I use this, this uh, analogy before when I read it um, and I said it in a speech one time and I've kind of repeated it. And it's like, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, alone. We are but a drop in the ocean, but together we are the ocean. And that's kind of was the theme of putting all these people together and all these different specialists together from sports psychology to orthopedic uh, surgery to acupuncture to foundation training, yoga, breath work, all those things that we need, hydration, all those things that we need um, in its most basic form uh, to help us 
live the life that we want to live or help the people that we want to help. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to throw this idea out to you right now. And, um, okay, this is an edit point. We can edit this out if this is not something that, but I, I, but I've been thinking about this. So in 2018, after we went to that surf movement masterclass, there was so much information to take in and I was just taking notes after notes after notes. And I was reviewing back over those notes and getting people together in a physical space is again, it's amazing that you did it. I look at that list of people and how they were all able to clear a single weekend in, in all the things that they do is truly amazing. And so one more thing is probably, you know, that much more difficult, but even doing it remote in like a setting like this, an ability to have the attendees and then maybe even something bigger, you know, where other people were, but definitely for the attendees of like, submit your questions that came from these really profound presentations that you had. And then the mm-hmm. ability to have those experts come together in a setting like this and just do a quick Q and a of some of solidifying some of that information, just to kind of circle that back around. So that's yeah. just an idea. It is a collaborative effort. You know, we all have to come together. It, there's some pain points in there, but, you know, the the uh, the beauty of it, the reward of that is to, you know, hear a guy like you say, hey, it really affected you. And and you were able to take some of those things and and add to your your foundation, right, your foundational approach to everything you do. And that's really what we're after. And, you know, I, I, I got to tell you right now, you know, one of the things I do. When the reason that I held that thing, you know, most of the things we do in life is really Machiavellian, right? What's in it for me? And I am uh, kind of a, I have a problem with knowledge. I just, I can't get enough of it. And I don't care what the truth is, as my good friend says, I just want to know what it is. And so to be able to do that, you have to humble yourself and, and, and you also have to bring others in around you, whether they believe in what you believe in or not. Um, I think it's important to keep the mind fresh, the mind sharp, and also on point and understanding why are you doing this, yeah. right? And that was why I believe that the Surf Movement Masterclass went off so well. It was because we had the why. And that why was, you know, what can we do as a group to be stronger than if we just came at you by, with an individual or with one thought or with one theme and life isn't that way you know yeah. it, it only happens that way in a vacuum and reality isn't in a vacuum so um, thank you for your comments and thank you for your compliments and I'm really looking forward to doing our best to, to create something even better this year yeah well thanks for all the effort I, I, I can't even imagine just seeing it so yeah we've oh, so Mike that Mike Rintala, yeah. I know you've had on the show, um, he has done obviously his fantastic work with uh, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, aka DNS, uh, and he is going to offer that up in our next Surf Movement Masterclass so that you can attend it remotely. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah we, had, awesome. Uh, we had about 125 people. We wanted to keep it as small as we could so it would be yeah. intimate. Uh, no chairs, as you know, in that thing. We don't believe in sitting, so everybody is on all these mats that we got, and um, that was just a, a fantastic thing. But um, yeah, if we can get more people involved in it uh, from a remote perspective, so everybody can join in and and again ask questions because it's all about those questions, uh, yeah. uh, we'll consider that another step 
fun. Yeah. Well, and it's a great way to keep both those things. You can keep the intimacy in the in in person and not have to manage a, a huge, which just becomes a whole nother thing. And then it opens up to you know, technology allows for other people to then benefit too. And and at that 2018 surf movement masterclass it was the first time that I was introduced to your um, five progression pillars of fitness. And just like the the whole weekend itself, that really did solidify. I, I've adapted that concept into how do you, I use it as a tool for clients and myself for for sure for all of the programming that I do. We live in this world of an overwhelming amount of information, and, and like you just said earlier, that 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 desire for knowledge and to grow and what you're able to do is kind of built within some of that kind of almost fire hydrant of information coming at you, yeah. right? And and how yeah. do you filter that down into the things that will have the most impact on you and your objectives? And to me, that is what the, the pillars of fitness really do. It's like a, an amazing key. It, and I think of it as, as you've described it too, as a circle to where they are progressive, but they interact. And to at what point, at any point of your day, what's the most important thing I need to focus on right now to support that whole progression? So talk about that for me, kind of go in depth in those areas and, and how you use that for yourself and, and pushing it out to the some of the professionals that you work with. Yeah, sure. Thanks. And, and well explained. And I think I'd like to, I like the analogy there of the circle that we yeah. talked about, but also what's inside that circle and how each, uh, how each pillar touches the other and yeah. interplays with the other. There's nothing separate. I mean, it's, you know, one love, one universe, everything is together. Okay. We should probably start with that. Yeah. Um, so what I looked at was just your basic, um, this is probably, I don't know, five, six years ago when I started looking at, um, you know, the mobility, stability and strength model mm -hmm. and said, fantastic. I think it's wonderful. I think it's true. Um, but we're still getting injured. You know, the functional movement screen, all this kind of stuff, fantastic stuff, but we're still getting injured. So I, I, I thought, well, you know, what comes before the mobility? What comes before the stability? What comes before the strength? What do you have to have? What do I try and do with my patients? What do I try and do with the best athlete in the world that's sitting in front of me? How can I, what can I do to make them better? And it comes down to even more fundamental things in mobility, stability, and strength. Because I found that if your body isn't aligned, you're never gonna uh, you're never gonna get breath. You're never gonna get mobility. You're never gonna get stability. You're never gonna get strength. So posture, full body posture, both statically and dynamically, is critical. And how many of our patients, last athletes, understand that? Well, we all know posture. We've all heard stand tall. Well, does that just mean stick your chest out? No, it doesn't. There's a lot that goes into posture. So having each client or patient understand that and be able to talk to you intelligently about what posture is and how important it is, is a keystone to the next stage of fitness. And that next stage for me is breath. Diaphragmatic breath. 
it can make you or break you. Think of a boxer. Think of a boxer, and if their breath is out of cadence and they get punched, it doesn't take much to put you on your ass. But if your breath's right, you're solid as a rock. And so taking breath and understanding breath and understanding there's a hundred different types of breath work you can do. Understanding that each of us breathe more than 23,000 times every day. What was the last lesson you had on breath? I mean, it's, it, it, it happens almost more than our heartbeat. And we have no idea about it. We just take it for granted. We just breathe through this incubator that we call a mouth, breathe in all this bacteria and, uh, and, and bypass the nose, not knowing that inside our sinuses, there's gases that are stored there called nitric oxide. And when you breathe through your nose, that gas mixes with the air and creates vasodilation down in the lower bronchi of the lungs, allows you to take in 15% more oxygen get it into your blood, into your systems, into your muscles. Do you think as an athlete that's important? Oh, my gosh. It's critical. It's a different so descri- describe um, vasodilation just for those that aren't familiar with it, kind yeah, of the, yeah. that, that it, process. It opens, it opens yeah. the avioli in the lungs, and those are where your air, your oxygen comes in, and your lungs are able to absorb it, and then that's mixed into the blood. So it dilates them. It opens them more. Think about breathing through your mouth as a, as a, as a trying to breathe through a straw and then think about breathing through your nose and just think about this oxygen tank, just taking it. You can take in as much oxygen as you want. And, and for the listeners, right. For, for listeners right now, do that as we're continuing to talk, just cycle between those two to physically feel that. Do your normal default, unfortunately, most of us are normal defaulting to mouth breathing now. So just breathe normally through that and then take three, four or five breaths that are all deep through your nose and feel it connect to those lower lobes of your lungs. You will see a distinct difference between the two. Yeah, uh, breath work. I mean, again, we could talk all day about breath work alone. In fact, I wanted to mention there's a, a guy named Brian McKenzie that I'd love to see you have on your show. That would be amazing. The Art of Breath. Um, you can look up some amazing articles. He's worked with Stanford uh, Medical School, uh, gone on dives uh, in Baja, California, uh, into uh, where the white sharks are with their brains hooked up to uh, electrodes and measuring stress response, mouth breathing relative to nose breathing. It's pretty wild. And what they come up with is just unreal. And He's just got some great information out there for anybody that's interested in being healthier than they are today. Yeah. And I'll put that, I'll I'll put all his links in the show notes and stuff so everybody can go to that. But Brian McKenzie's stuff is really amazing for the breath for sure. But that intersection between the breath and fear and parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, that intersection there is really intriguing. All the work and all the information that he's done there. Yeah, and, and uh, just to touch on the parasympathetic piece, you know, that's uh, so our nervous system is modulated automatically. We have a fight or flight and we have a rest or restore. And we do better when we hang out and rest and restore. That's called the parasympathetic uh, mode. And nose breathing instantly puts your body into that parasympathetic mode and it does it by when you breathe through the nose and then you let the breath out either through the nose or by touching the top of the roof of your uh, mouth with your tip of your tongue 
and exhaling like this. That creates a back pressure into the throat. And there's a nerve that comes out of the brain and splits. And it goes down the throat. And it, uh, when you put pressure against it, it's called the vagus nerve. It stimulates parasympathetic, uh, this parasympathetic nervous system and instantly puts you into rest and restore. And I would say a great example is think of any big athletic moment that you might have seen on TV or live. And you've got maybe a tennis player. And what happens before the big serve, right? There's a huge nose breath. Think about it. How many times have you seen that? It's just. And what does that do? Well, when you're in rest and restore, you are in the present. The noise is gone. You're in the moment. That's what we strive for in athletics, right? That's what we strive for when we're trying to do something that's uh, above and beyond our capability. We have to have everything in the moment. We can't thinking about be thinking about result or outcome. That's going to happen. You have to let that go. That's also called flow state once you get deeper into it, something that we always strive for as well as an athlete or as uh, someone who's mentoring athletes is to teach them how to enter that flow state. And that can only happen in the parent when you when your parasympathetic nervous system uh, is out in front. That's an interesting part. Of something that I, I have really been stressing to all my clients, but most of my clients now are surfers. Um, I just I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to work with mostly surfers now. And awesome. one thing I talk to them a lot about is, okay, after a really great wave or after a blown wave, something that has taken a lot of what you've had as your reserve and your reserve state of your breath and everything and, and your energy as you're paddling back out, really concentrate into that nose breath, both for recovery and also for just staying into that place. But what's interesting and, and what you just articulated that I'm going to really start saying to clients too is that moment so this is one of the things that I also convey to non-surfers is when to surf, you have to be present. There's no other way to do it because if you're thinking about, oh, I got to finish painting my house or, oh, this problem that I'm having, you're going to, every time you're going to blow a wave, you're going to fall. You're just, you're not going to be there. So those circles right. have to align. You have to be present. But what's interesting about what you just said was I've always stressed the idea of recovery for the nose breath as you're paddling back out, you're sitting back up on your board, but in a way, it's almost a, a perfect mechanism to extend the presence of that last wave. Again, good, bad, or ugly, you're extending the presence of that back to that state where you're waiting for that next moment to serve. And that in and of itself, those words are, don't wait. Be right there in that moment through your breath, through yeah. what's around you, through what you're seeing. And then that next set and that next wave is not the next moment you're waiting for. It's a then again, an extension of your whole presence. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> That's a good one, huh? Yeah, I learned, uh, I learned a lot about recovery breath um, training with Alvaro Romano who created uh, a technique called gymnastica natural, which is an offshoot of training for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He grew up in the Gracie family down there in Brazil and created this, uh, this system that um, I was so thankful for. He spent, you know, over a year coming over to my house every week or two, uh, teaching me these movements. And these movements that he taught me for gymnastica are now part of how I evaluate athletes. So 
he was gracious enough to share this stuff. He and his son um, uh, down in, uh, who also lives down, well, his son lives, uh, Rafael lives in San Clemente and now is training a lot of surfers, whereas uh, uh, Alvaro is traveling the world, kind of spreading his uh, discipline around the world. But what it does is it teaches you, because it's a fighting skill, it teaches you how to move with your breath. So as you move away from your body, as you extend the body, your breath leaves. As you're coming into the body, so it teaches you that. And then it also teaches you recovery breath, which is, um, I'll, I'll mimic it right now. It's in through the nose, the belly goes out, and then out through the nose or mouth. Uh, but you've got to pull the stomach in as the breath goes out. So Alvaro taught me this only through the nose. So it's... It's very quick, and it, you got to watch your stomach when you're first doing it to get the rhythm down. But in 30 seconds, you have your breath back, Greg. It's pretty unbelievable. And Alvaro wanted to really try this, so he did a triathlon without training. He wanted to see if he could get his recovery breaths down so well. And, and he told me, quite honestly, he kicked his own butt on this thing, and he was really struggling. But what he found was by doing the recovery breath, uh, people that had passed him during the race, he ended up passing them towards the end. And he doesn't recommend not training for a triathlon and doing it. But what it did for him was to really show that this really does something. It's really something to it. And so it's a skill. It takes a minute to get this breath down. But now it's part of my kind of nomenclature and part of my uh, way that I recover during the week, too. Yeah, just just to convey to everybody listening, um, he is in amazing shape. So him not training for a triathlon is still not a good idea, but it's yeah. a little different than somebody coming from a couch and trying to do a triathlon. And on a side note, I was just I was recently in Ecuador on a surf trip, and uh, one of the local uh, I don't know if it was a surf club or if it was tied to a school, but younger, definitely um, maybe early high school. Uh -huh. And I, I was out paddling and catching waves. And then I was watching them like prepare. And this was one of the, this was also one of the great things was like, if I stand on a beach in my, in my local area, I live on the central coast of California. I'll see maybe of every 10 surfers that goes out, maybe two will do some mobility or some prep before they get in. Now give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they did it at home before they came out. But when I was down in Ecuador, Maybe 75% were doing some preparation before they were paddling out. And there was a marked difference. But this group of young surf athletes, I was watching them do their prep. And it was pretty extensive, 15, 20 minutes. It was probably some, you know, also endurance work that they were doing too. But probably half the time was spent on movements that I was definitely identifying as gymnastical natural movements. And they were yeah, kind of in their cool. own flow and stuff. And it was, it was cool to see like, okay, they're paying attention and they're watching this and they're flowing through on the sand. And it is, it is great. I mean, those movements feel so um, empowering because you start to go like, Oh, I can't flow that way. Why is that? Why am I so, locked in on this one part it's just another way to see more information of the things that you should work on that's right it's a great kind of checks and balances before you go out to surf i do a gymnastic a natural routine before i serve combined yeah. with some yoga stuff but most of the stuff is really movement oriented because that's what we're doing when we're out in the water right 
and we want to activate the muscles. We don't want to put them, we don't want to put you to sleep. Right. So really, really important stuff to do. And um, again, it's, it's activating everything in that fitness system. It's activating posture, breath, mobility, stability, and strength all in one little group. So uh, that's a that's a really cool thing for me. And that doesn't mean that's what I think everybody should do. I think everybody should do what best fits their body, especially, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm getting in being my late 60s now. So stuff that I do now is, you know, it's compulsory, I got to do it if I really yeah. don't want to look like a kook out there. So and um, what I would say to everybody is that's uh, true, regardless of demographic. Like some of my younger clients in their 20s, they can get away with certain things, but yeah. they need, it's compulsory for them too. It's just not slapping them in the face yet. So yeah, the more you can. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, uh, I think to those that are down in South America, Central America, Mexico, um, I think what they're exposed to, Greg, is the, uh, when they watch the WSL on, on, um, on video or on TV, WSL does a pretty good job of showing these guys warming up now. You know, there's an interest yeah. in what's happening. What's the backstory? What do these guys do that's different than I'm doing? And so they're getting a chance to see that. One of the things, the uh, reflection of the Surf Movement Masterclass was I got a lot of letters from people that were in that area from uh, El Salvador and down that way uh, that were super, super interested in this stuff. And I think it's they're exposed to those videos where they see the top athlete doing those things, they're emulating them. When we go down to a beach in Cali, you know, maybe there's a pro surfer out there, but they're few and far between. So what we see is the regular guy and they got to go to work in 25 minutes. So they're going to get three waves and jump in, jump out. So we don't get to see the best examples, but what you're saying is absolutely true. We have to prepare our bodies. And if we prepare our bodies, our bodies will respect us by allowing us to move in ways that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to move uh, had we not warmed up or paid attention to our body. And this also is a great way for us to prevent injuries because now the surfers, when they come in, it's not like when I did this, uh, this air, I did this, but hey, when I get in this position, when I'm warming up, I feel kind of funky. I don't want this to turn into an injury. What can I do? And then we give them two or three more moves to accentuate that area of mobility. And now they're on their own. They're treating themselves. We've taught them how to fish instead of just handing them the fish. And that's always a big win, Greg. Yeah, huge. So you touched on uh, alignment and posture, your uh, diaphragmatic breath. Um, so some a little bit mobility. Talk about um, how, how important the ankle, hip, T-spine or thoracic spine and ribs. Um, talk about that a little bit in mobility. And, and also what I, what I would be interested in is diving in even a little deeper, deeper is why is ankle flexion and range of motion such a huge indicator for not just surf performance, but um, why is that such a huge indicator for positive movement long term and the reason i asked that is i had a client i worked with a number of years ago and he was at the time he was probably about early 60s and he was locked in in a big he was a surfer locked in in a, a lot of areas but his range of motion in his ankle was incredible 
and then we worked for a little bit. We worked on some specific things with him. And then I, I, I happened to just run into him surfing locally. And I could not believe the level of surfing he was able to pull off, knowing how tight and locked in he was in so many other areas. So touch on that a little bit. I know that's kind of a big area there. Well, it's a great, it's a great story, great analogy, and super common. And, and um, dorsiflexion is what you're talking about, forward ankle flexion. There's three areas in the body, Greg, that if you, if you remain mobile in these areas, I'll probably never meet you, which is great. You know, I'd rather see you out surfing and just enjoying yourself. But, yeah. but ankle flexion, the whole idea behind this is uh, it's a theory called joint stacking. And so there are certain joints in the body that if we maintain mobility in, it takes pressure out all, most all the other joints. And one of those joints is the ankle. And that forward flexion, a.k.a. dorsiflexion, is critical for taking stress off the foot and off the knee. Because if there's stress there, it creates something called serial distortion. Serial distortion just means that if, if my ankle's supposed to move and it's stable, it won't move, it means something else has to move because of that. And that distortion becomes a recipe for disaster, uh, becomes a, an area uh, or becomes a system that we can predict injuries off of. And so without that forward flexion, I guarantee there's going to be knee issues at some time or another and probably foot issues as well. We also have to look at, do they have a flat foot or do they have a high arch? That makes a big difference too. So a flat foot means that all their energy is getting dumped off to the inside of their ankle. Whereas a high arch means that they're going to tend to roll that ankle a lot because they don't have the strength in the peroneal muscles to hold the ankle stable. So that's a big piece of it. Then to add the dorsiflexion into that component is, is massive. So dorsiflexion is a huge measurement. Hip flexion or hip mobility is a huge measurement. And in hip mobility, all directions, 360 directions. So hip flexion, hip extension, internal rotation, external rotation. All those things come into play to take stress out of the knee and the lower back. Thoracic spine, it does the same thing. It takes the stress out of the lower back and the neck. If they're not mobile, on the other hand, you're going to load stress into those areas and injuries are predictable. So one of the first things I do, whether an athlete's injured or not, is I measure mobility in these three areas. Yeah. So that part of it. So and how do you measure that? So like an applicable. So what I, a big part of what I like to do for the show is uh we is is the non pro yet surf athlete yeah doesn't have this team behind them if if they're fortunate enough to work with a quality coach or they have a really great body work um professional that they work with what is the best way for them to one assess their range of motion in those three areas and maybe one or two great uh, protocols or exercises for them to then work to improve and test and check in on those three areas. Yeah, so um, there, you can look up a dorsiflexion test, super simple, easiest test you can do. You don't have to be a doctor or anything or have a whole lot of experience. 
In fact, you can just do it on yourself. All you have to do is come up to a wall and move uh, whatever uh, dorsiflexion you're checking right or left. Move that foot back about three inches from the, uh, the edge of the wall and then simply bend forward on that knee, keeping the heel on the ground. You should be able to easily touch the kneecap to the wall. Continue moving back one inch at a time until that heel has to raise up for you to hit the knee on the wall. That gives you your dorsiflexion. I would say four to four and a half inches away from the wall is normal. So if you have less than that, you really need to work on it. If you have more than that, you've been blessed. And a great story is I tested uh, over in uh, Australia maybe I don't know, three or four years ago, I was over there and I was working with the Hurley team and I tested John John and Simpo and just, uh, you know, Pupo, all the guys on the Hurley team. We tested all their dorsiflexion and some had decent dorsiflexion. Some had a little bit less than normal, mostly had normal. And, um, so we had, you know, I, I can't give out the information. I don't think that's cool with HIPAA. So yeah. I will I will say this, though. Um, we had my buddy, Garth Tarlow, who's been manager for O'Neill's surf team for, you know, a really long time, decades. And he was there. And he's in his 50s, and he's got a terrible back and disc blown and stiff and always complaining. He's like, hey, man, let me check this out. I want to show you what I can do. So it's like, dude, this is for professionals. Step to the side. He goes, no, come on, let me try it. So he goes up to the wall and he puts his foot, he starts at about six inches and boom, does it, no problem. And I'm like, okay, uh, this is kind of strange. Move back. And he moves back and he moves back and he moves back. And he got about eight and a half inches away from the wall. I've never seen anything like it. It's almost like he was missing a talus or a bone in his foot that allowed him to do that. But it told me right then and there, Greg, that this is why Garth can still surf vertically, can still hit the lip with the power that he hits it with and live to do it another day with three terribly blown discs in his low back. So it really tells the story that if we have this mobility in certain areas of our body, it really takes pressure off other areas of our body. So I know that was a long analogy to, to tell you that story, but I think it's really an important area, one that I never heard of as an athlete. Yeah. And, and now, do you think there's a do you think there's a strong correlation, or in your experience, a strong correlation between that uh, dorsiflexion and its 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 improved uh, range of motion for that and proprioception, or do they tend to correlate in that if your dorsiflexion is solid? It is helping. It is helping improve or stabilize your proprioception through your feet, or the information you're getting through your feet. Yeah. Well, at first, when you make that gain, your proprioception will be poorer because your body is not used to that. Remember, proprioception is defined as understanding where your body parts are in space without having to look at them. Right. Yeah. A, a, another quick analogy: You sprained your ankle. You've been on crutches two weeks. It's your first day off the crutches. I guarantee you 100 out of 100 people, when they put those crutches down and they've been on their feet, you know, for maybe they're 25 years old, okay? So they've been on their feet for a few years. I guarantee you on their first step, their eyes are going down to their foot. They've lost 
proprioception. They don't know where their body parts are in space. We get 10% of proprioception from our eyes. We get 20% from our inner ear. We get 70% from our skin, muscles, tendons. So when we have an injury, Greg, I use the analogy that we've had a stroke. We've created a disconnection between the brain, the nerve, and the muscle or structure. And to rehabilitate them, we've got to reconnect those subsystems. And that's why many, many rehabilitation programs are subpar, because they don't take the time to connect those subsystems. And the subsystems really equate to that uh, stabilization. Uh, when we have a joint that's stable, we call it a dynamic restraint system that's around that joint. And that means the brain and the nerve and the muscles have come together as one unit, not separate units, but they communicate so quickly that you're able to prevent injury, protect your joint, keep it from going beyond its normal physiological range of motion and save yourself. But if you don't have all these subsystems working together, that nanosecond is all it takes to blow out an ankle, blow out an ACL, whatever it might be. Yeah. And that's a perfect, that's that fourth um, progression in your five progression pillars of fitness. So alignment, posture, breath, mobility, stability, and then our last one, strength, which a lot of clients when they come to me is, is they're all focused on that. They're all focused sure. on strength. And yeah. I've had to really, I mean, I mean most of my clientele through my career has been not prioritizing strength. Uh, that's that's going to be hard to hear for some people. You're you're a yeah. coach, you're a trainer, and they hear it and they go, "What? That's exactly what you do." And and then again, as I got more in depth and learned from you and mentored with some other people, it really did start to show how strength is important. Of course, it's what allows us to do the things that we're doing, but only in regards to, like you've stated the previous progression of all those things. And I, I heard a, you do a great analogy. I don't want to take it from you. I want you to kind of describe it, but you kind of use the Ferrari analogy and a bigger engine and, and, and just talk about that. It's a great way to convey to people how strength can be really counterproductive to either recovery or goal setting and certainly to performance. Yeah, um, it's pretty simple. So if you're, uh, uh, you know, invited to a racetrack, and you got a Ferrari here, but you know, the Ferrari the week before that had a uh, had an accident. You know, hit the wall, frames a little tweaked, tires aren't aligned quite as well, etc. So, you know, they did the body work on it. It looks just like it did the week before, but something's wrong on the inside. It's not just riding great, but the paint job looks great, right? Looking really good. So. What they decided to do instead of really kind of fixing that frame and fixing the alignment of the wheel, they decided to just put in a bigger engine because it'll handle, you know, it'll go faster. Even though it's not aligned, it'll still go faster. It's got a bigger engine and so forth. But so what we do is we, we recognize that, you know, what you've just done to that person is you've probably put them in a ticking time bomb because you've got a bigger engine, but you've got less control. And when you have less control and you're going around those corners, man, it's like taking off a chopu and, you know, and, and, you know, heading for that, that down the line like that, man, it's, there's no looking back. You're in it. And if your body's not in control and everything's not there, I don't care how strong you are. 
you're not going to win. You're going to crash. And that's what happens with the Ferrari because it doesn't have the alignment. Now it goes into a high-speed turn, and you can't handle the strength. And boom, it goes right into the wall and blows up. So you got to be long before you get strong. And you got to be able to be able to coordinate that strength. Um, another kind of analogy in real world that I'll use, and to my own embarrassment, but it was a big learning lesson. I had I admitted to it right away because I thought it was my potentially my fault was when Mick Fanning last blew his knee out um, and then rehabbed it. And then uh, he's surfing great and came to me and, and he's going to go on some trips and wants to get some work done. And so I have this new machine that we use that actually lengthens muscle. It's a stem machine called the new X pro or NX pro. And it, it actually can strengthen you or lengthen you. So I've never seen that before. This new X machine, I'd really recommend that you give it a try. It's really yeah. helped my career. I'm a hands-on guy. I'm not a modality-based guy. Uh, mm -hmm. But these, because the machine actually lengthens muscle, it's saving my hands a lot. So I know there's yeah. a lot of hands-on people that can dig that. And, yeah. uh, and so I'm using it on Mick. And Mick's making gains like I've never seen before. He had hip issues. Uh, he's got a scoliosis in his back, and he's got really tight hips, um, kind of uh, traditionally for him, or chronically for him. And so we use this machine. I use gymnastica work on him. I did my soft tissue work. And he said, Tim, honestly, uh, after a week or so, I, I haven't felt like this since I was about 17. He goes, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm, I'm feeling out of my mind good. And so he went on a trip, and he ended up blowing out his knee again. And I look at it, Greg, like this. We improved his range of motion and his mobility so well in his hips that his brain and his nervous system weren't coordinated with the new length. And I think he felt so good that he was doing things that his body wasn't fit enough to do. And by fit, I mean coordinating all those subsystems together. And so his dynamic restraint system failed. And when I heard that he did that, it was, he was in Australia and I just, I gave him a call and said, Mick, I got to fess up, man. I think I'm partially responsible for this because if not more, because we didn't take the time to train your body to coordinate with this new wonderful range of motion that we achieved. And I, I, I just said, it's a tremendous lesson for me, but I would never want to learn a lesson at your cost. And he just was, you know, as gracious as, anyone has ever been you know mick is just an, an, a fantastic human i hope you're able to get him on your show one day so that people can see that mick is just the most real uh person that i've met at his level of athleticism um, is isn't that wonderful i mean we love to see performance and we yeah. love to see especially in something that we have such a passion for to see this ability manifested that for personally speaking, I know I'll never even come close to, but then when you have an interaction with somebody and they just call it humble, call it grounded, whatever you want to call it, there's something that just makes that that much more powerful. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, doesn't take anything away from somebody that isn't like that. The performance is amazing, but there's something, I think it resonates with the every surfer. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, there, He's present, you know, it's so hard and he's got so many things going on. And I spent many, many years 
working with Kelly and so forth. And of course, she's got a train of things going on. If you just looked at Kelly showed me one day, all the text messages, all the emails he gets in a day. Oh it, my God. It's just- I couldn't even imagine. So, so I'm sure Mick's close to that level as well, but his ability to be with you, to be in your eyes and in conversation with you is like, you know, no one I've ever really worked with, Greg. Uh, wow. He's just very, very special like that. So I, I hope you're able to to get that. I'm going to try and get him out to the master class and have him say some words if, you, if he's in the zone. Uh, he's just super inspirational. He's real. He's humble. Uh, and he's uh, he's every man's champion. <laughs> what um, if looking back on that? So you're le- we all are learning and we're learning from experience, sometimes, you know, bad experience. Looking back on that. What would you do the next time a scenario like that comes into, regardless of it being Mick Banning level or not, but them improving in this state of having this range of motion improvement, what would your steps be to then take that ability now and put it on the stack of stability, then strength to be able to utilize that without it going outside of that healthy range of motion, if you will? Yeah, a good question. And you just progress him just like you would if he was injured. You know, you just progress him through. You don't skip the nuts and bolts that you would put somebody through um, that's trying to, you know, improve mobility or trying to improve stability or trying to improve strength. You want to hit him with all those things to make sure that we didn't miss something. Take him through some FMS stuff. Make sure that he's stable when you're in a controlled scenario. Because once they lose that controlled scenario, you know, it's done. You know, it's same thing with uh, John John's knee, you know, and how he continually blows them out. Uh, you know, a lot of surfers surf with knock knees. Yeah. And, and John's not a little kid, especially anymore. He's, you know, 6'2 and coming up on 200 pounds and strong. And if you look at the physics that are involved in a, 135 pound guy hitting the lip versus a big guy like that hitting the lip and he hits it hard as you know um the the physics are just mind-blowing so what we're working on with john and he's got kind of a flat foot too so we're working on building up that whole inside of his from his arch all the way up through that medial side of his leg so now instead of him when he stands instead of him falling off to the inside of his ankle now he's more on an even plane, so his foundation is more stable. And that should translate up the kinetic chain. I know I kind of jumped spaces there, but they're kind of all in the same. Yeah. Just because you're strong doesn't mean that you're ready to go attack. We've, or just because you're mobile doesn't mean you're ready to go attack. You've got to go through all five of those areas to make sure that they're all connected together. And it almost perfectly circles back around to that idea that we talked of earlier of that collaboration, doing those steps to test and retest and get information as both for yourself or myself as the, as the health professional, it's also for them first person. Like, what does that mean to me? Like I have this new set of tools now, like how do I use these tools? Like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's where that needs to be. And I'm building these other stabilization and awareness so i can keep within that area and continue to progress so it is it goes back to perfectly succinct to that collaboration part it is and 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 it's a literal collaboration i i work like i 
I'm usually, my goal with IC people is I find out where they're lacking mobility. I work on their posture. I work on their breath. So I'm kind of in that first, those three modes are, and, and then a lot of the fourth mode as well, because I coordinate those things together. But when it comes down to now adding a load to it, I usually will hand them off at that point to a physical therapist. I work a lot with uh, Mark Kazuki, as you know, but also Drew Marcos, uh, who owns Motus Physical Therapy in San Clemente and also in Irvine. Uh, they, he's done just a tremendous job with John John and Mick and others like that, uh, and some of the gals, Courtney as well, to get them back because that's his area of specialty. You know, when they're ready for the load, boom, he's the perfect guy to help out in that sense. So we formed this great collaboration. We work together. We're, we're not afraid of each other at all. In fact, we invite each other um, in all the time to share opinions because we're both after the same thing. There's plenty of people to treat. It's about making sure that the outcome is exceptional. That's where we, that's kind of where we come into uh, collaboration because we really think that we're better together than we are apart. Yeah, definitely. So kind of touching on, you, you, you talked about the, the new X technologies. Um, and, and I think you, I think there was even just an extension of some of the, I, so in the, in the, your background in the taping, kind of talk about your taping, which is, it could be a whole nother show. It really is some of the amazing stuff that you've done with that. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, uh, necessity is a mother of invention, Greg, for sure. And I I, uh, I was a, a beach volleyball player as well as a surfer. I played college football too, but uh, beach volleyball was awesome because after you finish surfing, where are the girls? They're around the volleyball court. So <laughs> growing up in that environment, it was just a natural sequela, so to speak. So I really got into it and, and was blessed uh, enough to be able to play in many professional tournaments as well with the AVP. And... Uh, this is back in the 80s, so when volleyball was beach volleyball was really starting to come up, and and so um, just graduating from school, and Miller Beer came in and said, "Hey, we want to we want to sponsor you know a professional league or a professional tour," and so uh, I was asked because I'd work with some of the players during my internship. You know, I'd lose early. My nickname was Uno Dos Adios. This is a double. <laughs> So I'd lose early, break out my table, and work on the athletes. And so um, when it came to come to a professional league, they said, hey, would you be interested in becoming our medical director? I said, absolutely. And I said, you know, you've got to let me kind of develop my own model here. They were up for it. So I developed this interdisciplinary model where we had anywhere from orthopedists, acupuncturists, nutritionists, performance specialists, chiros, PT, anybody that can add something to that athletic training table. Um, and to the athletes' benefit, we wanted to have them out there. So we had all these people out there, and uh, um, I met this guy. He had just gotten back from Australia, and he had uh, heard about this technique over there where they use different types of tape together to create support for an injury. And so I, I, had, I thought that was just great. I didn't see it happen that day. He didn't bring any of the stuff, but I had some different tapes that I had in my kit and that night, as oftentimes I do when I get uh, inspiration, I woke up in the middle of the night with this picture of drawing anatomy on the body and, and, and then seeing the anatomy that was broken underneath that anatomy 
and using the tape to literally weave that anatomy that's broken together, whether that's a muscle or a ligament. And so I came up the next day with this, this tab technique where I, I, I took a piece of tape and pushed it together like an inchworm. So it had a tab on it and then placed, placed it on the skin and then pulled that tab over the injury. And it instantly became like I just knitted that injury together. So those tapes were not stretchy like the skin. But they worked way better than what was conventionally being used, because what was conventionally being used was an old white tape where you mummy wrap somebody to the point where they couldn't move at all. So you were helping the injury, but you were also not stimulating the physiological pump at all because you were cutting it off. You wouldn't allow circulation to happen. So I thought, well, what if we just cut off only the motion that was exacerbating or making the injury worse and leaving all the other motion alone? And so that was the concept that I had. And so I used it on some athletes. It kept popping off and so forth. I put tough skin on there. And if, if the tape didn't come off, their skin would come off, you know. <laughs> and then, and then um, it, there wasn't the, uh, the internet back then. This was in the early 80s. So I had to write different training associations in all the different countries around the world to say, hey, what tapes are you using? And I got this information back from Japan about this guy that was using this tape to help people with lymphedema or bruising. And it was this fantastic, stretchy, thin tape. So I sent to Japan and had some tape sent over and used that tab taping and then put the kinesio tape over the top of it. And now all of a sudden I've got a ligament that's dense, that doesn't stretch but I've got skin over the top of it that does stretch. And now we can take and put on a, the first joint that I ever used it on was uh, out of necessity again. This guy was trying to play in the finals of an event that was on Mother's Day. In the semis, he dove for a ball and separated his shoulder third degree. So big deformity, couldn't lift his arm up. And if you ever want to take the time to look up a, an AC taping job from the past, it was taking an ace wrap, wrapping it around your arm, over the shoulder, kind of between the legs, around the neck. <laughs> nothing that was functional. So we did that on him. Didn't work. And he goes, hey, Browner, I've seen you in the background messing with that tape. Let's try it. And we tried it. And instantly he's able to pick up his arm. What we did was we reduced that lesion, almost acted like those ligaments were back there to hold his shoulder together. He's able to go out and play and, you know, wish his mother a uh, happy Mother's Day on NBC and the whole deal. And it was the beginning of what I call specific proprioceptive response taping or SPRT. Not a marketing guy here. I would have named it something <laughs> simple. But that, that kind of became the baseline for everything I've done since then. Not only for taping, but I took the same reasoning behind the taping, which I later learned from Vladimir Yanda, who created upper cross syndrome and lower cross syndrome, what I was actually doing. Because I didn't know. I just knew that they were getting better and the line was getting longer outside the tent. <laughs> and so what we learned we were doing is that we were stimulating these cutaneous nerves in the skin that were connected via what's called the Hilton's Law to organs or tissues underneath the skin. So I can take a specific muscle 
and I can turn the skin and get a specific response to lengthen or strengthen that muscle. And so that's kind of where all the taping started and how I was able to take the taping later on and create apparel by using the same techniques, but with panels inside the apparel. That's so interesting because that connection. So the precursor to the masterclass, uh, you and Michael Rintala, um, uh, Peter Crone was there, the, right. a couple, uh, Peter Park was there, I think too. Yeah. Um, it was a year or two before that. I had just broken my collarbone and, uh, Another uh, friend of ours, Heather Miller, was like, you should come to this. There's some amazing people here. I think you would really benefit. And I said, I, I had literally just got surgery on it. And Shout and I was like, Is, what's that? Shout out to Heather. She's an awesome oh. acupuncturist. Oh, my gosh. She's amazing. And she's, she's just an amazing person. She she's the she has to she gets gets the the props for the first introduction to all that she's really responsible for all of the first five uh interviews i've been able to have on this because i got to meet you guys so when i went to that precursor i i was a little nervous i was like okay well we're gonna do some activity we're gonna do this stuff and you were doing some some taping demos and she said you should tell them that you had that done and you same thing i i didn't really even know at the time that how bad my AC joint was. It was probably third degree, but I was just getting, you know, get my collarbone with, you know, some titanium and, and you taped it. And to feel that first person really is the experience of that is amazing to, to know that you have this here, but the ability to then use it appropriately. Like I wasn't doing push-ups, I wasn't doing shoulder presses or anything, but I was able to actually start functioning and moving in a way because it's not just, it isn't just support. It's, it's telling you like, okay, you still have this here. It's not getting you past that place where like, oh, this injury isn't part of the dynamic. It's like, no, I'm just giving you a little bit more and the awareness underneath it. So it's really, it really was amazing to experience that first person. Well, that's great. And it, and it speaks to that proprioception that you're talking about, too. You know, your awareness increased. Right. And that's really what we're trying to accomplish here is just making you more aware, because, you know, there are no healers out in the world. Right. In my opinion, the body is the healer. We, we provide the environment for it, you know, and we, we we provide the information that allows that healing to happen, hopefully in a, in a more expeditious way. But um so it's very humbling what we do, right? What you do, what I do, because um, you can never get cocky at it. There's always a case that you're not going to be able to fix or know about. And so it really keeps me, and that's why it kind of feeds into my knowledge junkie thing where I just, I have to keep learning. I, this is my 40th year as a sports chiropractor this year, Greg. And I can tell you, I don't know shit. I mean, there's so much to know in the body of information that's out there, it's constantly humbling me and, you know, sitting me back on my, my, my seat and saying, no, buddy, uh, you, you think you're badass, but you really don't know anything. So, um, you know, I know a little, and so I'm always happy to share that. Uh, but I'm always happy to learn more. And, and that, that kind of is a perfect like segue into this question for me. So all of these things that you're involved with, you, you're, you're the co-medical director of the WSL. You're uh, you work with the U.S. Olympic surfing team. 
you have new X technologies, you just launched Mirage, Mirage Active Ultimate Compression with McFanning. How do you decide what you're still seeing patients? How do you decide what to be involved with and what not to be involved with? Because I'm sure you're just getting, and thank you, by the way, for doing the, taking an hour of the time right here. I know how valuable it is. So I'm going to say that live in the podcast because you sharing your knowledge. I know you're very humble, but it's important. And to be able to give this opportunity to my listeners to be able to hear it is, is amazing. So thank you for that. But how do you decide? Like, how do you decide what to do and what not to do? Well, again, I think I, I touched on in the beginning, you know, every, life is Machiavellian, right? I mean, we're always doing something that'll further ourselves. That's just the truth. That's just the way it is. And, and if I can bring other people along with me, that just gives me even a bigger thrill. So, um, you know, I, I choose it just based upon how it feeds that fire. You know, how, how much energy am I going to be able to take and put into this thing and make it meaningful, not only for me, but for the others that are involved in that project. And so most of my projects are projects of passion. Um, if I had a business manager, he'd probably have been slapped me around and, and locked me in a room a long time ago and said, this is, this is not the way conventionally to do your thing. And so I've never been very good at convention, but um, I, I, I think I'm pretty good at keeping an open mind and, and taking a scientific approach uh, to as much as my often concussed brain will allow me to, uh, to, to these processes. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just uh, I'm very humbled by your words today, Greg, and and the ability to be able to help others is such an honor and such a privilege. And uh, so I don't know. I, I just uh, I just want to keep on going, keep contributing and uh, keep my body mobile enough to keep surfing. So I want to say uh I'm I'm very humbled by how bad my background is compared to your background on the video. For those that are just listening, I'm going to I'll put up a little snapshot of his background. So you were talking earlier a little bit about that picture of Jerry Lopez. Do, do you have time to kind of explain that to the listeners? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the cool thing, one of the awesome bonuses that uh, I got for sleeping on a lot of floors for a lot of years was. Um, going over to Hawaii, worked at Pipeline uh, to work on the athletes starting in the in the 80s. Um, I was super fortunate to uh, meet Jerry Lopez and to be able to hang at the Pipe House uh, when it was really the Pipe House. Um, Jerry had the top floor. Herbie Fletcher had the middle floor. And then Laird Hamilton had the bottom floor. So, <laughs> you know, they could come independently of each other or have other people stay or whatever it might be. So, um yeah, so I was up there in um, in a room with Jerry up in his room uh, watching Pipe and just talking story. I would talk about, you know, the things that I learned about health that year. And he would tell me about his adventures. And it was just like I just couldn't wait for more stories because the man could talk some great story. So we're up in his room and he says, hey, Tim, look at this picture on the wall. Tell me what you think. He goes, my mom was looking at this thing and she saw this this image of uh, like a, a Hawaiian warrior God in this picture. And so he goes, um, we're thinking about making posters out of it. What do you think? You know, if I make them, do you want me to send you one? And I go, God, yeah, please. And so he goes, okay, take a look at this. And I'm going to show you this in just a second. But it's a, um, a side view silhouette of a, a Hawaiian warrior uh, in the tube of the wave that Jerry's surfing. So I'll pick up my computer and show you now and try and point it out. Okay. 
Yeah. But you can direct me if I'm if I'm missing sure. missing the, the point here. But you can see let's see here. Yeah. Okay, so there's Jerry. Yeah. And here's the Hawaiian helmet. The guy's looking this way towards shore. And you can see the eyebrow, the eyeball, the big Hawaiian nose, the nostril, the upper lip, the lower lip, the beard, all looking at Jerry's house. I'll get a little closer so you can maybe see that. Can you see that, Greg? Oh, yeah, totally. That's It's amazing. And... and Give the give the years about. Um, shoots, did he sign with the year? I don't think he did. I'm gonna say so, this, this is probably from. He probably sent this to me in, you know, the late '90s, maybe or yeah. mid '90s. The only reason is era is to say we're in this AI image time now. So this is clearly pre that so that is oh, just yeah. existing as a projection of the picture <laughs> no, it's, it's not. i mean when you look at it the more you look at it the more you see it and i i was uh, as i mentioned earlier john john was over here um a few weeks back and you know i said oh i got that picture of jerry you know you've probably seen that one a million times like what and he had never seen it before because jerry's so darn humble you know it's it's just a, he's an amazing human um and a great example for us all, but uh, it was cool to be able to turn John John onto that, you know, that little wave that that little legend of a wave that Jerry's got for us here. Well, that's that is what story is. That's why that part of surfing, you know, I'll get together with friends or something at a party, and my, my wife will come and you know say like, I, I I like watching baseball and stuff too. She's like, uh, with this group of friends, she's like, baseball or surfing. Like what? What? Are you, which one are you talking about right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, predictable, right? Yeah. Well, no, no. We have, we have some other things in there, you know. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say one other thing too. I um, this is called. These are called now in dot o dot w, and they're speakers. And what it is 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 a three minute. Um, uh, it goes on a three minute loop, and you put them next to your ears. And you turn them on, and it's healing frequencies. And um, so I've been using these for probably a year, year and a half now. I used them at the U.S. Open. I think at the first contest I used them at. I used them on athletes before they competed. And I think probably maybe there's 200 athletes there. Maybe a hundred of the athletes went out and bought these afterwards. <laughs> this is one of the best things you can do. It's three minutes of these sounds that sound awesome you can feel the sound and it's frequencies that reset the uh, your brain waves so wow. it takes stress right out of your body you can feel it happening and it gets you either ready to rest before you go to bed or ready to go surf or ready for a big meeting whatever it might be these things are awesome to put you into that parasympathetic state that we talked about yeah i'm not with this company i have nothing to do with them I'm just telling you this because, oh my gosh, they are super special. So something to try out sometime, Greg. Absolutely. And it's one of those things too, uh, you know, when you talk about any kind of goal setting or, or, you know, what we want to achieve is 
breaking it down into so let's just say meditation because it's yeah. perfect for that kind of idea i want to meditate every day for 20 minutes well, that's a wonderful goal and 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 absolutely a, achievable but really it's about a minute right or even 30 seconds it's about showing up it's about yeah. being present yeah. with the goal that you're trying to set not just take not just achieving the goal it's the presence of it and it's that kind of idea like what mechanisms can you use to create that habit to take steps towards whatever goal you're trying to achieve, whether that's giving up something bad or progressing in something positive? It's those kind of things. And that's where, you know, technology and tools can help. They're not the only solution. And certainly they're a source of some of the troubles, but it's how do you balance those things in your life to show up? Yeah, what great, you want to achieve point. great point and and uh um it's all about these things are kind of all about frequency you know as we yeah. are every cell yeah. in our body has a unique frequency to it and so i utilize a lot of tools um here's another one if i can point to this over here mm -hmm. that is called a biocharger and that is the world's strongest uh pulse electromagnetic frequency machine and it has what's called recipes to set different frequencies for different problems. So it'll set a series of maybe a recipe of 10 different frequencies. Uh, if I have uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, it'll hit all those organs in my bodies that are affected by that. So frequency is a really cool thing. Keeping your frequency is really critical. And one of the ways to do that, Greg, the reason behind that is uh, me saying this is hydration is critical for cellular frequency. So your cells all vibrate. We're all like this on the inside. We're all vibrating, one side vibrating faster than the other. And when the, our vibrations are right, our health is unbelievable. We don't get sick. But when our vibration in an area, an organ, a system is down, that frequency is down, so is our health. And that's when we become, become vulnerable, not only internally in our organs, but also in our joints. Um, and these guys, these now guys, three minutes of the now is a 40 minute deep meditation. Wow. So for me, I like those kind of deals because I'm not going to do a 40 minute meditation on the regular. It's not, I, I, ha, I don't have the discipline or that skill set yet to do that. But three minutes, if I can't do three minutes, you know, I don't deserve to be healthy. So. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm like everybody else. I don't walk this perfect line. I'm looking for things that are convenient too, as long as there's a result and it's measurable. Right. Tim, thank you so much for the time that you spent with us and all of your expertise and all the things that you continue to do to give back to certainly the surfing community, athletes, just communities in general. It's really, I just can't thank you enough for your time. It's been great. And on a personal note, um, the, the knowledge that you've given me and what I've been able to do with it and, and move within my own life and my own profession, um, you, you're just a really important mentor to me. And I really appreciate the time and knowledge that you've imparted. Well, thank you. When it all, when it all comes down to it, uh, that's really, you know, that's the essence of what makes me feel good about doing what I do. So I appreciate you, Greg. I appreciate what you're doing. And I appreciate your efforts to spread the word out to the world, you know. Uh, but but the, I think the, the operative word here is, you know, we've got to get everyone to participate in their own health care and in their own fitness. 
Uh, don't expect someone to do it for you. It just won't turn out as good as you'd like it to. It's almost like handing your money over to a financial advisor and thinking everything's going to be great. You must participate in that program to make sure that your money's still good at the end. And it's the same thing with your health. Yeah. And where's the best place for people to find out more about you or communicate with you? Where's the best place for people to go? Um, well, you can always get through me on uh, on the old Insta. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's TB Sports at TB Sports Care. Thanks again, Tim. I really appreciate it. And I hope you get some great surf today or soon. Just really, again, really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, remember to stand tall. Please subscribe, like, comment on this episode and all of our social media channels that you can find at at SurfStrongFit. It helps us reach more surfers, and that is our goal, to help surfers stay strong in the ocean till their last breath. We'll see you next time.